Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another grand and glorious day in the best little city in America. How about we spend a couple hours on the Patrick Lally Show engaged in some energetic and entertaining conversation on local, state, and national news and politics. We'll throw in some science and medicine, a little arts and science, and a little music, and uh, we're going to have a good time. Uber producer Dan Peters is here with us today in the studio. Thanks for spending some time with us on your radio out there on uh, Information 1000 KSOO, driving around in your car, got the windows rolled down on a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Sunshine in mid-70s, couldn't be any better. Maybe you're streamed live on KSO.com, huddled up in a cubicle somewhere or on the KSO mobile app, that branded mobile app that you can take with you wherever you go. Remember, you can always follow along on Facebook Live or on our Twitter account at P. Lally Show. We come to you in every way we possibly can. There are no other avenues left for communication with this show. We have them all. I, until someone develops a new one. Until somebody develops a new one. Then... Then we're out of luck. No, we'll do that one too. We'll do them all. Yeah, we we'll care. do the chip. Yeah, we we'll insert the chip inside your yeah. inside your cranium. Yeah. And there and you go, the Patrick Lally show. The Bluetooth chip, the Wi-Fi chip, it'll be fine. You you people, you're gonna you're gonna be taken care of here by the by the good people at KSOO. It it really is beautiful out, by the way. <laughs> I was coming over and I had the windows down and listening to the radio. As I like to do, it was lovely, lovely day. A um, couple things caught my attention today, by the way. One is there's a press conference going on, I think right now, about uh, uh, they found emerald ash borer in Sioux Falls. That's not good. It was only a matter of time, but it's not good. If you don't know what the emerald ash borer is, it's a some sort of pest, some sort of uh, uh, bug that kills ash trees. And we have a lot of ash trees. See, if you were around back in the 70s, you remember we used to have a lot of elm trees. Then we got the Dutch elm disease, like a lot of places did. Wiped out all the trees. Up in the north end where I lived, up there by Terrace Park, almost all the trees were gone except for a few ash trees and uh, like the evergreen. Anything that was, uh, uh, you got your deciduous and then you got your conifers. And uh, all the deciduous were gone, leaving only the coniferous, coniferous trees. And uh, it really wiped everything out up there. So now the city's having a press conference because the emerald ash borer has been making its way east. Um, there are ways to treat it, but it's really expensive. And I don't know. We'll see what they say in this press conference. What's kind of interesting is that I've been kind of watching how this has moved its way across Iowa mm-hmm. from east to west. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the... Westernmost counties was Carroll County, which is to the south and east of Sioux City. Yeah. But now it looks like that possibly has jumped a few pegs here and, and gotten into somewhere near Turner County in areas north of Highway 18 in Lincoln County and east of Highway 19 in Turner County. Yeah. So it's creeping. It's like you knew it was coming. And the good thing is, is that since the great Dutch Elm devastation of the 70s, yeah, we have a lot of ash trees, but we have a lot of other trees, too. Way more maples and, you know. Cottonwoods. Cottonwoods. Oh, cottonwoods are great. They're awesome. And uh, stuff like that. So it may not be as bad, but there's still still a lot of ash. A lot of people planted ash because it, it grew fast. And, you know, when we were wiped out, people wanted to replant trees, and they, they went for the ash trees. They're also kind of cheap, I think. But we got a lot of locust trees now, too. Those are beautiful. And the Russian olives also have their characteristics. Yeah, yeah. So we got, we'll see how it goes. I hope it's not a bad deal. We'll find out more after the press conference. Uh, Also, uh, Mayor elect Ten Haken announced his uh, transition team. Ten people. You got a couple mayors on there Gary Hansen, Dave Munson, Munson, uh, Ann Hayek, who's been on the council and the county commission and the legislature, Uh, Erica Beck from Lloyd Companies. Jody Schwan, our friend Jody Schwan from Sioux Falls Dot Business, formerly of the Argus Leader, formerly Chief of Staff to Dave Munson. Don Hill, I know Don, he's a former fire chief. Uh, Lincoln County Commissioner Jim Schmidt, good guy. I know Jim. Jim's a great guy. Community Consultant Goy Yall, I don't know Goy Yall, but I'm sure we're going to meet that person. 
leadership consultant John uh, Branick. I know John a little bit, and uh, Augustana University Professor Lauren Kepsel. So that's that's the transition team for Mayor-elect Tenhaken, uh, who I hope to have on the program fairly soon. You know, um, I, I threw him a message today. We'll see when we can get him on. I think he's a little busy right now, but we'll see if he can make a, a little time for us lowly people over here at KSO Radio. Well, I wouldn't sell yourself that short. That short. <laughs> don't, like, don't sell yourself. Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. Yes, that's right. <laughs> no, we'll see how it goes. We hope to have uh, uh, the mayor elect in real soon, and uh, maybe take some calls. I like taking calls. You know, we have not done that. We keep talking about it, and then we just do other things. Maybe someday we'll just warn it. We'll just take calls for like the whole second hour. Ooh, that's stepping out there. Yeah, we'll see. People will call. People will come, Ray. People will come. Uh, Anyway, we've got a great show for you today. Dr. Stephen Powell of Sanford Health will be back with us. He's going to talk about an exciting development in the treatment of lung cancer. And this really is great news uh, about some real progress being made. Blogger Pat Powers of the Dakota War College will be back with us to catch up on politics from the Republican side of the world. Scott Hudson is our weird friend of the day, and I'll have a P&L statement just after the break. Today's topic, big data and a victory for the people. (sighs) Victory for the people. It's a good thing. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 317 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Oh yeah, our old friends the Bodines getting us a little closer to free here today on the PL statement that time of day when we look through the news and we find things that strike our fancy. And today, the thing that catches my fancy is something that I was involved with seven years ago. Seven long years ago. You may have seen it today. There's a story by my friend Jonathan Ellis from Argus Leader Media that uh, the Argus Leader, my former employer, won uh, yet another legal battle against the forces that would keep information from the public. And uh, here's lead on Jonathan's story today. A federal appeals court ruled Tuesday that taxpayer payments to retailers who participate in the federal program would not cause those retailers competitive harm if released to the public. A decision by a three-judge panel in the, of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Paul, Minnesota, paves the way for the state's department, United States Department of Agriculture to release more than a decade's worth of payments to hundreds of thousands of retailers that participate in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program the decision caps a seven-year legal battle by the Argus leader to win the spending data. So what that means is seven years ago, uh, we tried to get some data and we got turned down and it's been a fight ever since. So what's interesting is that uh, this has been going back and forth. And what happened uh, yesterday was the Eighth Circuit opinion from Jonathan's story, upheld a lower court decision that also found the yearly sales figures paid by taxpayers to retailers would not cause them competitive harm. The U.S. Department of Agriculture declined to appeal the ruling, but the Food Marketing Institute and Industry Trade Group intervened in the case in January 2017 and appealed to the Eighth Circuit. So it's been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So the grocery stores, basically, the Food Marketing Institute, had said that uh, releasing the food stamp data, SNAP, as we as it's called today, would cause them competitive harm and uh, that they would also suffer a public stigma. But the judges, three-judge panel, concluded the yearly sales figures lacked the specificity to allow a competitor undue advantage over another. This is uh, the quote from Judge Jane Kelly 
FMI's assumption that stores would be stigmatized was speculative and not supported by any other evidence in the record, which, I mean, this thing has always seemed fairly uh, obvious to me, but the sort of ominous part of this is the last paragraph here from Jonathan. The decision comes less than a month after the U.S. House Agriculture Committee released its version of the 2018 Farm Bill. Included in the bill is language that industry insiders requested that would bar the release of any retailer sales transaction data. Okay, what does this all mean? Well, this is good news for open record advocates like me, but it's more than that. It's good news for taxpayers. This fight has been going on way too long. This is a ridiculous amount of time for this case. The Department of Agriculture quit fighting it, uh, you know, quite a while ago. Uh, But beyond that, there are some important questions that could be answered here. As I said, I was in the room when this process started, and it's funny because at the time, I was managing editor of the Argus Leader. It was a pretty standard story meeting where we're just kicking around ideas, right? Kicking them around. The initial idea was that we wanted to find out where people get their food in South Dakota. The notion being that in rural areas of the state, sparsely populated places, people often don't have decent access to good grocery options, instead opting for convenience stores and gas stations. Okay, this was not a terribly uh, inspired idea. It wasn't terribly new. But we wanted to know how it played out in South Dakota. We didn't know. It was just a good, good, you know, food desert kind of story, right? So a lot of stories start like that, you know, with a theory, an idea, a suggestion, and you go from there. As with a lot of ideas, that core story changed pretty fast. In this case, the first question, obviously, is how do you find out where people buy food? One way that came up was to check who which places take food stamps, not even how much they get, just whether or not, yes or no, where are the stores, where are the retailers who accept food stamps, right? Which is pretty much everybody. Pretty much everybody who sells food takes food stamps. Not restaurants, but like, you know, grocery stores and uh, uh, any sort of uh, convenience store really anymore. And that was the question, you know, where do people get their food? And uh, that was it. You know, let's let's just get that answered. So we asked the Department of Agriculture. That's the uh, the department that administers the food program for the data. We got denied, asked why. And then a seven year court battle ensued that has now been closely watched across the nation. It's become a much bigger deal than this little story idea. First, though, I want to say thank you to John Arneson. He is the Sioux Falls lawyer who represented the Argus leader in this case and many others. John is a tireless and passionate advocate for the First Amendment, press freedom, and the people's right to know. He, he just single-handedly went into this case with more vigor than anybody I've ever seen. Okay, I honestly believe that without his commitment to this case, it would not have been pressed. Nobody knew as much about this as John. There were a lot of people along the way who championed the case at, in the Argus Leader organization. Former executive editor Mary Carol Keeter, who was my boss at the time. Former publisher Randall Beck, who was both our bosses at the time. Former publisher Bill Albrecht, who took over for Randall. And this case just went on and on and on. But all of those people continued to take the responsibility to press it forward when it had been easy to stop. And a huge congrats to uh, my friend Jonathan Ellis, who along with Arneson have maintained the steady and patient hand on this issue. It's not just a media question related to records, and this is where it gets important to all of you. Think about this. The federal government has spent somewhere between 70 and $80 billion a year each year for the last decade on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It's a lot of money. Where is it all going? It's a logical question, right? Where is this money going? It's our money. And we should always make sure our tax dollars are used in the most efficient way possible. Now, SNAP is a vital and good program for this country, in my opinion, that does way more good than most people will ever know or ever give it credit for. It, in fact, is one of the best investments we make as a country because what it does is it puts food in the mouths of kids whose families can't afford it. It is money well spent, but that's never been my issue. But what we don't know is where the money is going. At least the public doesn't know. Surely the Department of Agriculture, 
which has been administering these billions and billions of dollars for so long, knows exactly where that money is spent, right? After all, today the system isn't stamps, not paper stamps at all, but it's essentially a debit card that will only pay for certain things. So that data should be fairly well collected, right? Or is it? I guess we're going to find out now. You want to know the role of the media in our free society? There it is. There it is. Started with a very small question. A question that was asked, not answered. A question that was pressed and not answered. And the only avenue you have against a government that will not give you the information about the where your money is going is to go to the courts. And it could have gone the other way. So thankfully it didn't. Today the people won, or yesterday the people won. So that's a good sign. We'll see where this goes. It is a lot of data, that's for sure. There are many, many stories that lie within. So good luck to my friend Jonathan. Hopefully we'll get him on to talk about it real soon. That is the bottom line on today's PL statement. Agree or disagree with me? Shoot me an email, Patrick at KSO.com. Follow us on the Twitters at P Lally Show. Coming up after the break. We're going to chat with Mr. Scott Hudson on Weird Friends. And then we're going to talk with Troy Larson from the Lewis and Clark Water System. A lot going on there, too. Up next is the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. Then we'll be back with the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three thirty-four on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And we welcome back to the program after a long hiatus because it's my fault, not because it's his. Mr. Scott Hudson on Weird Friends. Scott, how are you, buddy? Good. You know, there's nothing better than a little replacements in the afternoon. I know. Just a it gets just like a, a shot of espresso. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Just a little, exactly. little something, something to get your blood pumping. Uh, hey, uh, have you, we haven't talked for a long time. Uh, did you watch the whole mayor's uh, thing come together? What did you think? Oh, of boy. Oh, boy, did I ever. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you were probably paying attention. Um, you know, what was interesting. I, to be honest with you, I was not a huge, huge fan of either candidate. So the comments I'm going to make is mm-hmm. not is not necessarily like rah, rah, rah to the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, I posted something on my Facebook page, anti-Ten um, Haken, mm-hmm. you know, a few days before. Ten Haken. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> somebody that we both know yeah. um, responded in a way that I just, it just blew my mind. Um, they said that, that because Jolene used to be a reporter, that you know all the all the coverage was going to be positive to her because of nepotism, and I, and I just what what that's, are you talking about? Especially then true. when exactly the the next seven days after that it was Jolene misstep after misstep after misstep. So uh, that 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 whole bias media thing was proven wrong once again. Yeah. I saw that too, and I think I saw that comment on your page actually, and it was like, "Oh, Kello is uh, giving her the the soft sh- uh, the soft sell because she's used to work there." Well, I don't, I don't. That's not how it works, especially that in was, TV. And that was twenty five years ago. I mean, I and, and the, the way they turn over people over there, uh, none of the very few of them were even around. I mean, you know, the reporters, a couple of the majors, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't see. You know, if you could argue that uh, there there was a bit of a bias the other direction. You know, because uh, there is a connection between somebody at a certain newspaper and somebody's campaign team. Well, there was. Yeah, and that was a that was an interesting um, little development there, where uh, Michelle Lavalle. Lavalier, who I know and I like a lot, who was a former citizen uh, representative on the Argus Leader editorial board and is also on the one of the primary uh, people behind Ten Haken, not an organizer, but really a kind of a, a supporter, a yeah. supporter on his original sort of advisory team. I, you know, that that didn't bother me that much. It was it would it didn't look good, but 
I don't think it had any bearing on any of the coverage. No, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't believe when a publication, you know, uh, endorses a candidate, I don't think it really makes any difference. No, and I mean, to be, to be honest, and this isn't really criticism, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, I was on the editorial board for a long time. There used to be a lot more people on it because there were a lot more people working there, you know, yeah. and yeah. there just aren't anymore. And so you've got just a, you know, really a couple of people making a decision. This isn't, this doesn't, isn't meant to criticize their decision or, or, no, it's just or real, it's, it. it's, it's the, yeah. the state of the of newspaper business in right. 2018. The reality is that there's two people on the Argus Leader editorial board that work in the newsroom. Yeah. And so that's Stu Whitney and, uh, and Corey Myers. So it's, you know, they're going to look at each other and figure out who. So what does the endorsement really mean? I mean, it means those two guys uh, endorse Paul Tenhagen. Now, it's a little <laughs> more than that. It's a little more than that, I understand. But it uh, it's not. And, you know, what does it really mean? You're right. Doesn't mean anything. So yeah, I mean, and again, the people, you know, the people who are for the candidate that's endorsed go rah rah rah, and mm-hmm. the people who are not for that candidate go oh bias bias bias. You know, yeah. it's that's the 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 common reaction these days to any uh, opinion oriented news item. Yeah, exactly. But it was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and there were. I mean, the, the, to me, there is some some things that came up that I'm surprised weren't made more of a big deal. I mean, like the, 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 the doxing thing, you know? Yeah. I, uh, it's, that it, scares me. That kind of stuff scares me. I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, uh, it, I will say that in, uh, Ten Hicken's defense, not defense, but when I looked at it, I was like, you know, he's, he's a hired gun, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And if he has expertise to figure these things out and that's what they pay him to do. And the fact of the matter is they never figured it out. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> and as I recall, and I, 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 I don't know if I have this exactly right, but uh, in that particular incident they were talking about um, where somebody was, was basically trolling Mike rounds. Uh, they couldn't pinpoint exactly who it was. David Montgomery who was reported the Argus Leader at the time did figure it out, and he oh, knew, did he really? Yeah, he knew it was. It wasn't that hard. Um, <laughs> so it was. I mean, I it was not that easy either. But David did it instead of just you know trying to figure out where the IP address, whatever, come. He just did it logically and figured out who it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, but it was there was a lot of moving pieces there, and it was uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, for I mean, usually mayor races are not really exciting. You know, there's no. there's not a lot that comes out, but boy, there was a news item every single day in this in this case. Yeah, it's good for people like us, you and me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just sit on the sidelines and chuckle. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're chucklers, chuckleheads. No, chucklers. Well, we're that too. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, what? Anything else going on in your life? What's what's happening? With yeah, you? I want to give an update on something. Remember a, f- a few months ago, I I made fun of Kello's. Alexa ad. Oh, yeah, where it turned on your machine? Yes. Oh, shut up, Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you come on now, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to say, Alexa! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, they had this commercial for how you could have yeah. the Kello News and Weather played on your Alexa, and they didn't, they didn't do the audio right. So mm-hmm. like I said, like you said, it was making people's Alexas turn on. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't watch a lot of network TV, but I happen to have the TV on Kello one afternoon. And by the way, that little talk show thing that Kello does in the afternoon, oh my God, that's a scary thing to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> but anyway, they, I finally saw the commercial again. Yeah. And rather than recut it or redo the audio or whatever, what they did is they bleeped out the word Alexa and then put a black bar across Scott Munt's face, mouth, as he says it, <laughs> and with Alexa written in on the black thing, on the black strip. <laughs> it's like, wow, you guys did a 10-cent fix on this. Well, what if you hadn't seen the first one? What if you weren't in on the joke? You're like, oh, exactly. What, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh well 
Yeah. So I mean, if they we didn't have Kello to make fun of, what would we do? Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, it got me a lot of a lot of ages in Tempest in the nineties. <laughs> Some things never change, Scott. <laughs> Uh, hey, do you got a hot pick? What, what's what, that's the update that they did that to the commercial? That's funny. yes, yes. I, I I just thought everyone would like to hear that. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe because of us, they did we that. affected yeah. that change. We'll see if what what comes next. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they'll just put somebody else's head on Scott Munt. Oh boy, that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, what's your hot pick of the week, man? Give me some music to listen to. Um, last Friday saw the big box set reissue of what I consider to be one of the greatest female rock and roll albums of all time. Huh? Uh, Liz Fair, Exile, and Guyville. Oh, yeah. Came out in, uh, it's 25th anniversary, so it came out in 1993. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, that was definitely the best indie rock female record ever. Mm-hmm. Um, she really changed the game. I mean, here was here was this kind of lo-fi, noisy, very blunt mm-hmm. um, lyrical content, uh, and it was just you know the story is that it was a, a female response to the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street album, which that was complete BS. There mm-hmm. was no there was no correlation from song to song, mm-hmm. but it was a good gimmick, you know. Um, but anyway, it was a great, great record. I've actually wanted it on vinyl for a long time, but it never I don't think it ever has been on vinyl. Yeah, that was uh, the height of the CD era. Yes, yes, definitely. And so now it finally is, and there's a bunch of extra discs with, you know, the usual devils and right. live things and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it made me, made me kind of think back to 1993 a little bit, which was an interesting year for me. It was a good year for me, too. Uh, you know... Um, <laughs> The uh, they've been playing Liz Fair on the current, and oh I, yeah, I, 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 I wondered why. Up there soon, yeah. yeah. And I w- noticed how much I like it today. It's oh good. It, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's it's uh, it's a nice little rock and roll album. Yeah. Well, there you go, people. There's your Hudson's hot pick of the week, Liz Fair reissue. Get out and get it today. How's that sound? Exactly. Scott, thanks a lot, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See ya. Coming up after the break, we got Troy Larson coming in from the Lewis and Clark water system. He's going to update us on some cash, the big cash that's flowing in and sort of when they're going to get that bad boy done for some of you folks out there in the rural area with some bad water. That's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Man disappears one day. 349 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. I'm very happy to have back in the studio with us today, Troy Larson, who is the executive director, right? That's the, that's yes, the right title, executive that. director of the Lewis and Clark uh, Water System. And uh, you, Troy, have been in, in, in the news a lot. You've been here before, and usually the news is the, the feds, they're just not fulfilling their promises on bringing good drinkable water to the people of the tri-state area. But this time you have good news. Well, thanks for having me back, Patrick. And you're right. Uh, there's been several years where it's just woe us for low federal funding. It's nice to be talking about some good news. Uh, we received word earlier this week that the final federal funding for FY18 is just under $15 million dollars. Last year, it was just over $9 million. So that's a significant increase, and we we're very excited uh, with the, uh, the momentum that hopefully we have and uh, the construction that we're going to be able to do with that money. So, yeah, it's nice to finally be talking about some good news for a change. Yeah, it's awesome. And this, of course, Sioux Falls were hooked up, um, and so now people kind of start to think, oh, everything's fine. But you've got a lot of other communities to serve, and particularly over in – uh, Iowa and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you also have good news out of Iowa. Yeah, we just received word uh, that the state legislature has approved a $4.75 million federal funding advance. Hmm. That's on top of the uh, two and a quarter million they approved last year. So in two years, the state of Iowa has approved $7 million as advances. Now, these advances are zero interest unsecured loans that are above and beyond what the state was required to pay 
in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the state of Minnesota came through with uh, over $44 million in advances. In the state of South Dakota, $8.7 million. And again, these are zero-interest unsecured loans. Tried going into Wells Fargo and asking yeah. for a zero-interest unsecured loan. We thought we might get laughed out of Pierre, Des Moines, and St. Paul. But they know how critically important this project is to quality of life and economic development. So they said, yes, you know, the federal funding has been slow, not counting this year, but up until now it's been slow. So they provided these advances to kickstart construction. And that just shows, again, how critically important this project is to quality of life and economic development in the tri-state region. Now, some of those towns over in northwest Iowa got some pretty bad water. Um, What does this mean uh, for those people? Um, Which towns and when do they get their water? Well, first of all, about the bad water, I know you're a biker and Ragbri one time went through Sibley, Iowa, and signs were all over the place saying, Mm -hmm. do not drink the water or (laughs) you're not going to be going much further down the road. (laughs) Uh, The water was just so terrible. They've since capped their wells. The city of Hull capped their wells. And so this is critically important to Northwest Iowa that we get this water to them. So with this funding, what we're going to be doing is uh, the federal funding, we're going to be starting at Beersford and constructing pipeline to the Big Sioux River. We hope to get all the way to the Big Sioux River, but we're not quite sure if we'll get there all the way, but Mm -hmm. we'll get pretty close. And then with this federal funding advance for the state of Iowa, we're going to start at Sioux Center and work our way west. So we're essentially burning the candle on both Mm -hmm. ends and meeting in the middle with uh, the pipeline with future construction. Again, these two rounds of construction won't connect the pipeline, but we hope to get about half of it, maybe even a little more than half done. So, you know, the good news is the communities of Sioux Center and Hull, who've waited since 1990 for this water, can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's nice to be able to project that if all goes according to plan, we believe those two communities will be connected by the end of 2022. Now, that's still four years off, but up until recently, we couldn't even tell them what decade they would be connected. So this is really good news. So which towns are left out there? You talked about Sioux Center and Hull. Sibley's still Uh, one of them, uh, right? Sioux Center, Hull, Sibley, and then uh, Sheldon is also a member. Sheldon's a a big town, too. It it is. And uh, Rock Rapids is a member, but they already have water. So we have four members in Iowa that need water. We're going to be connected to Worthington by the end of this year, Hmm. and Worthington's been needing water for about 100 years, so that's really good wa- or good <laughs> yeah. news for them. And then ultimately, we do need to connect Madison. Now, we came up with an interim makeshift wheeling plan, we call it, where, where we're addressing their water needs, but it's not actually Lewis and Clark water, but eventually we do need to connect Madison. So we have right now 14 members connected uh, with, again, Worthington soon to be connected, and then the other five in the coming years. That's pretty amazing. So you've been working on this for how long, you uh, personally? Uh, fi- over 15 years, and it's uh, felt a lot longer <laughs> uh, than that. In fact, I just found out this morning in terms of percentage, our engineers did some updating, and we are currently 75% complete with construction. Wow. And with this latest round of funding, once all that is in the ground, we will be 80% complete. So again, we're, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm 51, and my goal is to certainly have this done before I retire. It's been quite a career when you can say, oh, uh, Troy, nice to meet you. What, what did you do when, when you were working? I built an entire rural water system that serves 285,000 people. What is the number, by the way? Uh, j- you're very close. It's just under 300,000. So if you were guessing jelly beans, you'd be, I'd give you the prize. But uh, you're right. It's, it's a very fulfilling or, or rewarding project because we are all working together, not just me, but staff and directors, to, to, to bring water to the tri-state region. We really consider this a legacy-type project. I mean, this is something that's going to be around for generations, so we're certainly excited to be a part of it. Uh, just very quickly before I let you go, when you travel, do you like take a glass of water and hold it up and like sniff it? <laughs> do that, that sort of thing? Yeah, I, you know, I, I do. Uh, I do. I'm, I'm much more sensitive to good quality water. And Lewis and Clark, for the th- for three years in a row, has won the best tasting water award in the state of South Dakota. Well, and there there's actual go. contest in Pierce. So three years in a row. Water from Lewis and Clark has won, and just quickly, not many people realize f- over 55% of Sioux Falls' water comes from Lewis and Clark. They have their own source, yeah. but most of it comes from Lewis and Clark. So we're proud to be a, a great partner with Sioux Falls and the rest of our members. Well, we're blessed to have good water. Troy Larson, he is executive director of the Lewis and Clark 
is it rural water system? Regional water. Regional water. I always At want to say rural. At one time it was rural. See, we changed what, our huh? name. <laughs> there you go. Regional water system. Thanks for being here, Troy. You Thank you, Patrick. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters, we're going to talk with Pat Powers from DakotaWarCollege.com. That's going to be a good one. Stay with us. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. Coming up Saturday. Oh, it's the big one. The Avera Race Against Breast Cancer starts at seven a.m. at the Avera McKinnon Fitness Center over on Southeastern. There's a ten k, five k, three mile, and one point five mile walk. You can get just about anything you want out of that race. It's fun. There's a lot of people in it. It's why uh, I think it's the biggest single road race, running race in the city. And it's fun. I've done it many times. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters, it's Pat Powers from Dakota War College. And then we're going to talk with Dr. Stephen Powell from Sanford Health about some great news fighting lung cancer. That's on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh six on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand K S O O. And I'm very happy to have on the phone today from the road because it's political season. And you'll find Pat Powers, the Dakota War College blog, out and about in the great state of South Dakota. Pat, thanks for taking a couple of minutes for us today. Hey, good afternoon. So, where are you, sir? Well, actually, I'm I'm coming up on the Canastota exit, headed towards Rapid City. Oh, you got a long road ahead of you. Well, it's it's a bit of a haul. Uh, watching all the road signs on the way, there's Dusty Johnson and uh, Christy Noem and Marty Jackley and a Chantel Krebs sign or two, and and I'm I think I've seen a Democrat sign, but they're kind of few and far between. <laughs> As always, we like to mention that uh, Mr. Powers comes to the world from a from the right side of the spectrum, as uh, and so he, you might expect that. But you know, this is the this is a a, a active time for Republicans because they got all the primaries, man. Right? Well, you know, actually, I'm I'm a bit surprised because they everybody seems to be gearing up late, and and I think that's mainly weather driven because there's not a lot of people out who were out going door-to-door a month ago when we had a foot of snow. Yeah, that's right. Who's putting up signs out in the middle of a field when there's a 40-mile-an-hour wind blowing and there's snow? Yeah, that's, that's kind of tough, and it's really been only in the last uh, two weeks where, where the weather has turned significantly enough where, where people are actually actively getting out campaigning. Yeah, you know, and you are a sign aficionado because you're a you're a campaign guy. You you work on campaigns, you advise, and and you've got a, a business that does uh, campaign work. So, but you you look at a lot of signs. What do you look? For? I'm not going to ask you to pick who's got the best sign because <laughs> I I don't want to put you in that bind. But what do you look for in a good political sign when you're driving down the road? Well, you know the. Uh the big thing is, and I, and I just pulled off out here, uh, the big thing is visibility. And, and I tell candidates, and in fact, I have a load of signs in the back. And the big thing is uh, they have to meet what we call the 3055 rule. Uh, a yard sign has to be big enough and legible enough that you can read it driving by at 30 miles an hour for a small yard sign or 55 miles an hour when you're out on the interstate. I mean, it's big letters and bold and, uh, you know, don't worry about getting bogged down in the details. You want name and office, and that's mm-hmm. what you're trying to communicate in that in that two- or three-second glance. You know, what's interesting is how often or how seldom anymore you see actual party on signs. That used to be a thing, and it's really not a thing anymore, is it? Well, you know, you see it on a few, and but but again, you, you kind of get back to that 3055 rule, where you should be using most of that real estate to to get that message across, name and office, you know, Neil Tapio for for Congress, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, you you want that you want that big and bold lettering, and, and there's not a lot of room on there for Republican or Democrat, or uh, you know, even sometimes city commission gets to be kind of garbled as you're 
as you're getting in there, a lot of it just depends on how it's laid out. Yeah. I've seen some people are starting to put out these tiny, tiny 12 by 18 signs because they're inexpensive, but, but you could hardly read them. Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> the, uh... well, and, and they're kind of the most expensive item that candidates do on a per-piece basis. So, so you, you kind of need to, to do it right or, or it was a big waste of money. Um, let's talk just a little bit about the primaries because, uh, we're, we're kind of on that subject, but, uh, so we're now less than a month out from the primaries. Um, the, it seems like that governor's primary is really getting hot. Is that your perspective as well? Well, I, I would agree. That's, that's easily the, the most competitive where, where they're just starting to slug it out and, and they're getting, uh, they're, they're starting to do the debates where they're, they're testing messages against each other. You know, uh, they had the uh, uh, Americans for Prosperity debate I was at here about a week ago, and they, uh, you know, Marty Jackley was coming out with a message of Washington doesn't work, and and Christine Ohm had her message of, you know, I, I don't think Washington works either. That's why I'm coming home and, and, and trying to make our state better. Uh, you know, they're, they're all testing messages uh, to kind of figure out what the, what's going to bring home the last couple of weeks of the election. Yeah, because you can't get too uh, complicated right now. You've got to be ready to react. But what do you think is going to happen in these last couple of weeks? Do you think that there's going to be any, uh, uh, I don't want to call them bombshells, but each, each side has to be thinking about how they're going to strategically place a message, or it could come down to just one right or wrong decision at this point, couldn't it? Well, it, it could, but you know, both both have pretty experienced teams. I, I think they're going to be fighting it out down to the last day. It it could be a pretty close primary, one of the closest we've seen in quite some time. Well, I I would agree. I would agree, and and that's a that's a sharp contrast to the congressional primary, where I, I think uh, you're you're starting to see some some strong forward momentum for. Dusty Johnson, as I said, you're, you're driving down the road, and there's Dusty sign, Dusty sign, Dusty sign. And I think that's indicative of the fact he, he has the strongest ground team. Mm-hmm. Now, Chantel is, is waging her war mainly on the, on the airwaves. And, uh, you know, and Neil Tapios, he's playing catch-up, but uh, I, I've been told he has a lot of signs out west. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, it, it just remains to be seen that we, we still have a lot of time between now and Election Day. Yeah, they, and it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, we're going to come right back with uh, Pat Powers right after this short break, and we're going to chat a little bit about the mayor's race because Pat, uh, uncharacteristically, was writing about Sioux Falls politics. So this is going to be fun. Uh, I, it, so are, you're okay, Pat? You're pulled off? You're all right? You got a, you got a beverage? You're going to be well hydrated? Oh, yeah, I got, I got a little water here, and, and I'm not even trying to text and drive. Oh, good. Well, we'll be right back with Pat Powers, and we'll chat more about politics. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four eighteen on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we return to our conversation with Mr. Pat Powers. He is a blogger, of course, out of Brookings at South Dakota War College. That's dakotawarcollege.com if you're looking for that. And uh, we, Pat joins us from the road. Hey, Pat, um, one of the interesting things that uh, uh, I noticed during the last mayor's race was uh, you, you wrote some, some pieces on your blog uh, analyzing what was going on. And I should say from the, from the outset, a lot of people know this, but you've worked with Paul Tenhaken in the past in different campaigns and that sort of thing. But you were, you gotten involved in the mayor's race a little bit. What was up with that? Well, you know, and, and I would, I would maybe disagree with that a little because, you know, I've, uh, I've covered local politics ever since, uh, the inception of the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, there, there's been some, of uh, the most interesting things, uh, in politics that happened at the local level. But, you know, with, uh, with this race, uh, I mean, it was kind of, uh, everybody in the state was, it was just kind of watching because it was, uh, I mean, it was a sea change in Sioux Falls politics. And obviously being the, the center of population in South Dakota, a lot of people had an interest in it. 
Yeah, and did you think that obviously Paul is a Republican and in this in this election, um, which is a nonpartisan election in that there are no uh, parties on the ballot, um, but Paul very much a Republican, not does not shy away from that. Worked on some campaigns in in his work in the digital world. It wasn't the only thing he did. Uh, Jolene, uh, a, you know, a registered Democrat and actually did in the end appeal to the Democratic Party. Do you see party politics getting more involved in that race over the time? Well, I don't think it was any more or less involved than it has been in the past. Uh, you know, if you if you look back to when uh, uh, Mayor Huther ran against uh, Kermit Staggers, mm-hmm. I mean, that lined up largely along party lines, Huther being a Democrat at the time and Staggers being a, a Republican. But, you know, but Staggers tended to be more more hardcore right-wing in his politics, and at the same time, Huther was maybe a more moderate Democrat. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, you know, it was maybe a little less polarizing because some of the business commu- community were more favorable in looking at Huther because they weren't sure what Staggers would, would have done right. uh, getting in there. So, you know, there's, there's some give and take, but here in this race we probably had... Uh, maybe on a social level, the more the more mainstream lines of Democrat thought and uh, conservative Republican thought, and uh, and and it was an interesting race because uh, you know you had Democrats, as you said, lining up with Jolene and Republicans lining up with Paul. And it wasn't uh, completely uh, you know right down the line like that, but it it had more of a feel to it. Did did you sense that? Well, I, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, as I said, you had a little less of the blending of one candidate versus another, and it was more, you know, Jolene ran as a, as a Democrat without the label, and Paul ran on a very Republican level. Mm-hmm. So you were very critical of Jolene um, a few, from, a few, uh, from a tactical standpoint. Uh, give us some sense of what you think she did wrong. Boy, that's a long list. Uh, <laughs> well, but, you know, I, I found it interesting, and I think it all kind of gelled, especially in that, uh, in that period of time for the runoff. And that's mainly in writing about it. I, I think the, the media, uh, they, they didn't really dig into the candidates during the, that early vetting process mm-hmm. before the runoff. And and when it got down to the uh, the last three weeks, the the field was largely cleared, mm-hmm. and and they started to dig into some of the claims. And, and I think I think Jolene's greatest sin was puffery. Yeah, puffery. And that's, that's, that, well, yeah, that's that's not to say that you know. Let's face it, every politician tends to tends to make themselves look as good as possible. But but she she took it to such extents that. When people started looking into her claims, they, they tended to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I looked at that biotechnology claim she had, right. where she claimed she was a leader in, in biotechnology. Well, the biotechnology people said, "Well, we've never heard of her." And you know, you look at what she was claiming she did versus what she actually did, which was sending dog poo into a company for a genetic test, just like you would your to look up your ancestry. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with calling yourself a, a small business person. Right. I mean, that's, to me, if she would have done that versus calling yourself a leader in biotechnology, she would not have had a problem. No, in, in because, fact, because she has, you know, three legitimate small businesses. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just, it unforced errors are, are just what kept coming to mind. Yep. If you looked at, you know, her claim that the police were behind her uh, with her uh, precinct plan. Yep. Well, you know, when the Fraternal Order of Police and come out and say, no, we're not, and that your commercial is misleading, I mean, that is just a crippling blow. When, and you have to just, start having, when you have to start having that conversation, you've already lost. No matter if you think you're right or not, once you're talking about whether or not the the police union is right about your commercial. You've already you've already hurt yourself. 
Ab- absolutely. And, you know, and, and as I said, everything just kind of went back to all that puffery. And, and so you're, you're starting to, uh, you know, when all of your claims start falling apart, it, it's like quicksand. It just all kind of kept going under. And, you know, and then by that time, she was having a 4 o'clock on the Friday before the election press conference. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, five o'clock, 4 or 5 o'clock on Friday, that's where press conferences go to die. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah. not, that's not where you go to turn around a campaign. And, and I don't even think the media at that point were, were taking that press conference seriously. Yeah, the, at that point, if you're in the newspaper game especially, you're sort of out of time. Because absolutely, absolutely, uh, it's it's not something you start really thinking about. What am I going to publish here? Because I'm out of time to come back and actually figure out what's true. Well, and, and I and I wrote at that point. You know, it was it was the last gasp of the campaign because mm-hmm. there was no. You know, there's at that point you're down to putting out door hangers and knocking out doors and turning out your supporters. It is not the time to try to change the narrative. Right. Right. Well, it was fun to watch. Uh, Pat Powers from the Dakota War College blog. You can find that at dakotawarcollege.com. Pat's on the show well, pretty much weekly, and we caught him on his way out to Rapid City. Pat, uh, keep her between the ditches, all right? I, I will do my best. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. We're going to talk with Dr. Stephen Powell. He is with Sanford Health, and he is doing research on lung cancer. He's an oncologist, and he's got some good news. So we'll talk to Stephen after the break. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four thirty-four on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I'm very happy to have back in the studio after a, it was a long time ago that he was here, Dr. Stephen Powell, he is a oncologist and researcher at Sanford Health. And uh, Dr. Powell, thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So uh, you're here because you come bearing good news in the world of oncology, and that's fantastic. So uh, as I understand it, um, Sanford has been in a, a clinical trial uh, uh, dealing with lung cancer, and, and you've seen some good progress. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a huge clinical trial that was done internationally, and we were a major part of it. And really what it was looking at is the idea of adding immunotherapy to chemotherapy for patients of stage 4 lung cancer. So what does that mean, combining uh, uh, immune, immunotherapy with chemotherapy? Yeah, so for years, um, lung cancer, we've treated it with chemotherapy. It's been the standard treatment for almost 20 years, and really we've been kind of uh, stuck with that treatment for quite a while. And what this idea is actually using the immune system during chemotherapy and activating it to try to get a better result. So basically using your own body's immune system, turning it on so that when the chemotherapy attacks the cancer, your your immune system can go back in there and clear it out. And because uh, one of the things about chemotherapy is that it's, it's killing stuff inside your body and you can only use so much. Does the, the drug that, that, uh, that basically, I don't want to say awakens, but uh, uh, stimulates immunotherapy. Does it does it repair what the chem- chemotherapy does? Or I mean, that's that's just wild to think about. Yeah. So actually, this the study did two different things. One, we used a chemotherapy treatment that isn't as toxic, so it's actually an easier to tolerate chemotherapy regimen. Um, we actually give vitamins and some other things with it mm-hmm. to actually protect your body from it. So one, we used a lighter chemotherapy regimen that actually would work better with immunotherapy. So it didn't weaken the body as much. It was able to attack the tumor more effectively. And then you actually add this drug, pembrolizumab or Keytruda, to wake up or activate the immune system. So when the cancer is knocked down by the chemotherapy, your immune system can run in there and, and clean up uh, the remaining tumor cells. Oh, that's wild. So Keytruda, that's a drug people may have heard of. That's an advertised uh, pharmaceutical correct? Yeah, absolutely. So Keytruda um, is uh, pembrolizumab, and then there's another drug called Opdivo or Nivolumab that's being uh, talked about quite a bit right now, and it's because these drugs are really changing the way we treat a number of cancers. They're becoming the standard of care for many cancer types now. So what was it that the this uh, clinical trial found? I mean, what were the results? What happened here? So, so the big point, the big uh, part about it that was very impactful is they looked at 
patients with stage four lung cancer that they compared uh, patients with just chemotherapy versus chemotherapy with immunotherapy. And they, and when they uh, sat back and looked at all these patients at about one year, if you received chemotherapy and immunotherapy, your risk of dying from lung cancer was cut in half compared That's to those amazing. patients with chemotherapy alone. Is that, I mean, that just seems stunning to think about. We, we don't usually anticipate seeing this big of a result in a clinical trial like this. You expect to see maybe small changes uh, by adding other drugs, but this was a major change. And as you said, it's, this wasn't just some small uh, uh, study here. You're, there's people all over the world that were doing this. Yep, I believe, uh, I think the total number was 126 centers, and only 20% of them were in the U.S., 80% were other countries. So Australia, um, China, there's countries all over the world that were part of this, um, and you know we were able to do it right here as well, which was great. How did we, how did we uh, you know, I live here, but that's it. I, um, how did you, as Sanford Health, get involved with this sort of study? So when it comes to a major clinical trial like this, it's all about um, your reputation and what you've done in the past. So actually, this particular treatment, we were part of the first trial that it explored this. It was called Keynote 21. This study that we're talking about today is Keynote 189. So Keynote 21 was the first first time we ever looked at this combination, and we were on the ground floor with that. We were starting that here. So I think that was the first step, was actually being involved from the beginning. And then also, we've really built our clinical trials program here to bring in options like this. And I think it's starting to gain a reputation uh, around around the country and around the world that we can do this sort of clinical trial in South Dakota. And we're, they're starting to come with us to us with some of their best clinical trial options for our patients. And it's interesting because Sanford isn't, like a lot of these places, are big uh, university medical centers. And you're not. Yep. Uh, other than our affiliation with uh, University of South Dakota. Uh, but that's not like, you know, some of these huge, uh, uh, medical centers that are associated with universities. So you're kind of an outlier in this deal, aren't you? It's a little bit, yeah, it's absolutely a different, uh, it's different than what we've seen in the past. And the reason why is if you look at the universities that were included or universities in general, they're receiving the major amount of research funding. So if you look at NIH dollars and Mm -hmm. other funding, they're getting all this funding, whereas a community center like Sanford doesn't typically get as much as a university. Now we've changed that. Um, We're now, I believe, uh, we received the highest number of NIH dollars in the state. So we've we've really changed that that paradigm. And it's been able to let us build up our, our infrastructure to do clinical trials like this. It's pretty amazing. And we're going to come right back and talk more with Dr. Stephen Powell. He is an oncologist and researcher at Sanford Health and in the Vermilion native. That's right. Throw that in there as well. We'll be right back. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. The clouds will blow away. 444 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000. And we return to our conversation with Dr. Stephen Powell. He is an oncologist and researcher with Sanford Health. And uh, I mentioned before the break that you're a, a Vermilion native. We, we talked about this whole thing before when you were on the show the last time. But you uh, grew up in Vermilion. Your mom is like the treasurer down there, has been a treasure forever. Right. Yep, yep. So you're like famous yep. down in Vermilion. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so shout out to mom. Right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, you've been involved in this uh, uh, huge clinical trial that we've been talking about, worldwide clinical trial uh, that fights lung cancer. Um, what does this mean? So you get a you get a really positive uh, result from a clinical trial, as you said, uh, uh, recipients in this uh had a 50% higher survival rate from stage four lung cancer, mm-hmm. which is about, that's the end, right? Yep, absolutely. It's an, it's an awful cancer. I mean, really, um, it's one of the worst cancers that we treat because it, it, um, it's the number one killer uh, when it comes to cancer. So it's, it's really important that we develop new treatments for it. So just the, any sort of hope at that stage for people has to be amazing. Did you were you working directly with the patients, or what's your role in this? Yeah, so as at our center, um, you know, the, how we provided, uh, or we were part of the study, is we we saw patients that were getting this treatment, and it's actually it's an interesting trial because it was blinded, so I didn't know what my patient was getting. I knew they were getting chemo, and, and uh, I just didn't know if whether or not they were getting immunotherapy. And um, you know, if if somebody um, their cancer grew on therapy, then we would of course know we could, they would tell you then, but they wouldn't tell you where they're on treatment because it's very important in these studies to do a very good comparison 
comparison of the two treatments to show that one's better. But we, we treated a very a large number of patients. I think actually uh, about 12 patients from our center were on the clinical trial. Oh, wow. So w- did you have an equal number that were uh, that we're not getting the drug or is that 12 total? So 12 total. And we don't, we don't know. I mean, for many of them, cause some patients are still on treatment. We still don't uh-huh. know, um, if they're getting the drug or not, you know, there's little hints you can tell. I mean, I have uh, patients that have been on treatment now for over two years and are still doing well. And you just, you know, those patients mm-hmm. got immunotherapy because that's not something you see with regular treatment for lung cancer, but you don't want to know. You can't know. You, yep. Absolutely. You can't know. And it's, it's because they don't want to bias the study because sometimes they've seen in the past when you know what somebody's getting, um, you know, providers may, you know, do things to try to push that patient in the right direction, or, you know, maybe they don't pay as much attention to the person on the other treatment. So blinded studies are very important in this setting to try to, to really know what's the better treatment here. How do you tell people that? It's, you know, it, for some people, um, for some people, it's a big deal and they want to know, I think at the end of the day, the standard treatment was chemo. So you were going to get chemo regardless by enrolling in the study. It gave you a, uh, a chance of getting immunotherapy with that chemotherapy. So I think for many pa- people, they know that they're going to get standard treatment regardless, but there's that option. They may end up getting this immunotherapy with it as well, too. So It, it really is a roll of the dice, though, because if you think about it, if you were a person who that could have saved, mm-hmm. but because you went, you decided to enter the clinical trial with your eyes wide open, mm-hmm. You rolled the dice, and you didn't win, and so you died. So, so, so one caveat on that with this trial is if you did get the standard treatment and the cancer grew on that standard treatment, they mm-hmm. did then give you Keytruda at that point. So you ah. were given access to it at that point. So that so was then you still did have it. a door. Yes, yes. Oh, that's amazing. So you still get access. And that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that where we're at as a research center, we do. We sit down as a team and – we review probably 10 to 20 trials every every other week as a group, and we only pick the trials that we think are good options for our patients. If we don't think it's going to be a good option for them, they're not going to get that treatment, mm-hmm. then we say, no, we pass. So, I mean, that's that's a huge part of this is really being selective and picking the options that are best for your patients. It's still a reality of clinical mm-hmm. trials, though, in research. Yep. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it's it's the best way to know whether or not something works, and it's what we have to do to prove to the FDA and other agencies that this is actually the best treatment because at the end of the day, they're, they're the agencies that say whether or not you can use it. And I think, you know, here in the U.S., we have it a little bit better than some other countries. Um, a lot of the countries on, on this clinical trial, they don't have access to Keytruda at all. That's why there was such a huge number of these centers. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. So how many people total, do you, do you know how many people total were in the, the trial worldwide? Yeah, so it was six, over 600 patients overall total. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it really mean then? So you've got this, you get this result, what now? Yeah, I think, so to me, what it means, well, it means two things. One, I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to FDA approval of this agent, complete approval, and I think it's going to lead to approval in other countries. So no longer will you have to go on a trial, you'll be able to access that. That will be the treatment that you can use from now on. So it changes uh, changes the way we treat lung cancer worldwide. That's the number one uh, thing. That What I, I'm interested in as a researcher myself is how do we take this and move it earlier in treatment. So how do we use it to cure more patients of cancer? So this study was for patients that, that were incurable, stage four cancer. We had great results that, you know, it's outstanding. We have patients that are alive um, now on treatment, but how do we move that ahead and actually get rid of the cancer before it spreads? So mm. we've already started work on, in, in other areas like head and neck cancer, the area that I work in where we actually utilize this similar approach in head and neck cancer to try to increase our cure rates and potentially decrease the side effect of some of the other treatments that we have. Now, when you start start talking about head and neck cancer versus lung cancer versus potentially like pancreatic cancer, which is a horrible cancer. Mm-hmm. Is it potentially the same drug to give is a Keytruda or whatever is working or is it different for every type of cancer? So it, it's, it's complicated. It's going to be, there's going to be some similarities between cancers, but I think for every cancer, it's going to be a little bit different. And even within a cancer type, it, mm. You may treat it differently. So um, for lung cancer at this point, we're, it, it's, treatment has gotten very complicated, which is good. It's very good. We've gotten to the point where we, where we can personalize treatment for a specific patient. So now when I have a patient come in to my office and see me of stage four lung cancer, we may not start them immediately on this treatment. We may actually do genetics on their cancer. We may look at the immune environment in their cancer, and then we're going to decide, do they need this treatment? Do they need a targeted therapy like a pill? Could they just get immunotherapy alone? These are all options that are available that really just came forward within the last five years. The immunotherapy is not as 
rough on your body either, is it? So, so I think that in general, that's true. So there is a subset of patients that their immune system gets too activated mm. and they can actually get autoimmune problems. Um, so um, that's fortunately uncommon. And usually we can, we can manage it very easily with, with steroids and other measures. But um, and with some of our newer targeted therapies, actually too many of those are very well tolerated. Yeah. What, when we say immunotherapy, what is that? What, what's the drug? I mean, what is the <laughs> substance that so, you're putting in my body that is making my immune system fire up? So immunotherapy is anything that utilizes the immune system to fight a cancer. And that, that can be a drug. It can be um, actually vaccines. We have vaccines to train your body to fight cancers. Um, we can even use viruses now to inject into a tumor that will attack the tumor and then recruit the immune system there. So it's anything that gets your immune system activated to attack the cancer. And actually, a lot of people don't think of it this way, but if you use chemotherapy and radiation and some of our older treatments in the right way, so not at too high of a dose and, mm -hmm. and use it in the right way, it actually can work with your immune system. Uh, to, to help it fight the cancer. So your immune system is critically important to fight cancer. It just can't do it on its own. So we have drugs that can help activate it. We have other treatments that can actually help it attack the cancer more effectively. A key point here that shouldn't be lost is that ultimately the best uh, tool to fight lung cancer is to not smoke, right? Absolutely. I mean, number one cause for lung cancer remains smoking. I mean, mm -hmm. that is by far. How's that going? <laughs> you know, I think we, we, we have seen trends for a decreased smoking rate um, in different populations. I think in other countries, it's, it's not quite as, as good. Um, but I think, you know, we're, as we see more people uh, quitting smoking, actually, we're seeing our lung cancer mortality or deaths go down. What are your thoughts on vaping before I let you go? Yeah, so that's, that's still an unanswered question. I think that initially it was felt maybe it was safer. Mm -hmm. um, now there's some, some information coming out that there may be other chemicals that are even more harmful, and I think the, the jury's out right now. Yeah, because you don't know what's in there. I mean, <laughs> somebody knows what's in there, but the casual person probably doesn't really realize what they're putting in their lungs. Absolutely. I mean, and there's so many things that we're exposed to now that, you know, we don't, I mean, how many people knew that when you're a kid that if you're out in the sun without sunblock, you know, mm -hmm. 50 years ago that you'd be at risk of melanoma, and now it's well known, don't tan, don't do this. I mean, we learn this after the fact. Tell me about it. Uh, Dr. Stephen Powell, uh, thank you very much for coming in. He is an oncologist and researcher with Sanford Health. Some amazing results. Uh, uh, again, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coming right up, we'll finish up the show and uh, tell you what's going to come up tomorrow. It's a good time. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. And I mentioned uh, earlier, last hour, that Saturday is the big uh, Avera breast cancer race, race against breast cancer. It's also uh, you, you go to the race, then you can go over to Falls Park because there's a lot going on there as well this Saturday. First of all, you got the farmer's market from 8 to 1, located down, you know, across from the falls under the big pavilion there. All kinds of great stuff there. Fresh produce, locally grown items, coffee, baked goods, soaps, jewelry, fresh flowers and plants, wood-fired pizza, and more. There's that. And then, in the afternoon, 11 to 7 p.m. at Falls Park, Cinco de Mayo. And yes, it's May 12th, but that's when our Cinco de Mayo celebration is. Enjoy Latino food, dance, art, music, children's activities, Chihuahua fashion show, and more. Everything's always got and more, Dan. There's always and more. You know? Well, you might as well just go for more. Yeah, as long as you're there, you may as well get more. That's all coming up Saturday. Hey, tomorrow on the show, Candy Hanson of Thrive will be here to talk about a new effort to make sure kids are safe after school. Our blogger tomorrow is Corey Heidelberger of South Dakota Free Press. For politics from the left side of the aisle. And the smart cyclist is our weird friend of the day. So you're going to want to tune in. That's from 3 to 5 tomorrow on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO.